Church here at Crosspoint. It's good to be with you this morning to open up God's Word. Uh, if you would, turn to Leviticus chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I just want to make note of a couple of things. Uh, I hope you've noticed the beautiful artwork on the front of our worship guides the past few weeks. This beautiful artwork has been done by some of our members in our church. Uh, and I'm so thankful that they're using their gifts in such a way. Uh, the snake crusher was um, done by Hannah Folks. Uh, the Lion of Judah that you saw last week on the front of your worship guide was done by Miss Edna Dunaway. And then this week, the sacrificial lamb was done by Claire Wicker. And, uh, and uh, just God has gifted us in all different ways. And I'm so thankful that God has given us, this church, artists who can depict the beauty of this world that God has made. And so I'm just so thankful for that. And I'm thankful, like Mr. Melvin said, for the work that was done last night at Living Nativity. Thank you, Brandy and Kim, for your work. And thank you, church, is that here at Crosspoint Baptist Church, we exist to make disciples of all nations for the good of all people and for the glory of God. That includes people who are our neighbors, and that includes people who are of, of across the water in different nations. And so I'm, I'm excited and thankful and hoping that God would use what happened last night to bring people to himself. And so that excites me. I hope it excites you, Crosspoint. So Leviticus 16, once you found your way there, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Leviticus 16, starting in verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron your brother not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark, so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way Aaron shall come into the holy place, with a bull from the herd of a sin, for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And she, he shall tie the linen sash around his waist, and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water, and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself, and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for Azazel. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord and make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and the two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small and he shall bring it inside the veil. And put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat, on the east side. And in the front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do it and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. 
Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out at the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the people of Israel. And when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all the iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garments that he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall bathe his body in water in a holy place, and put on his garments, and come out and offer his burnt offering. And the burnt offering of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar. And he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes, and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. And the bull for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was bought brought to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp. Their skin and their flesh and their dung shall be burned up with fire. And he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water. And afterward he may come into the camp. And that shall be a statute to you forever, that in the seventh month on the tenth day you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you. The atonement may may be made for the people of Israel once in the once in the year because of all their sins and Aaron did as the Lord commanded let's pray God this is your word give us illumination by the work of your spirit in us let us see the glories of Christ Jesus the baby born in in Bethlehem that we would see the fullness of who he is that he is God savior and king that we would be like the Magi, and bow down and worship him because he, Jesus, is worthy of every single praise and word and deed and thought, God. Lord, be honored in our time now. Direct our minds and our hearts to your word and let us be further motivated to love Christ, to obey him, and to make disciples of him. It's in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. I know Leviticus 16 isn't the normal text that we read during the Advent season. Am I, am I right in saying that? I don't know if anybody is. That's usually what you read Christmas morning when you wake up to your kids, Leviticus 16. Hopefully you'll see this morning how it has, uh, it is very important and it is very actually vital to the, to the Christmas story. 
You know, we sing songs like the one that we just did, uh, you know, uh, about baby Jesus being meek and mild and lowly and, and cuddly, if you want to even think that way about baby born in a manger. But we also need to remember this, that the baby born in a manger is what John the Baptist said in John, in John 129, that this is the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. As one uh, Christmas song goes, it's called Born to Die. That's why Shane and Shane, it's a great line. It says this, when the babe was born in a manger on the hay, God saw the veil torn. He saw Good Friday. He was born to die. And this is why Jesus was even named. He was named because he would save his people from his sins. How would Jesus save his people from their sins? By dying. And so, the birth of Jesus is looking forward to the cross and the resurrection. And that this baby born in a manger, he is all these things. He is the snake crusher king, what we learned in Genesis 3. He is the lion of Judah from Genesis 49. He is the prophet like Moses from Deuteronomy 18. He is the star of Jacob from Numbers 24. He is, the, he is Emmanuel. He is all these things. But he is also the sacrificial lamb. The baby born in a manger is the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. And so this is the main point of what I want to get across today from our text in Leviticus 16 is this. The main point is this. The Lion King will crush the serpent's head as a sacrificial lamb who atones for his people's sins and gives them access to a holy God. That is... That is what we'll be doing this morning. And so there's three words I want us to keep in our minds through this text. Is approach, atonement, and access. Can you say those three with me? That's how Leviticus 16 is structured. It's about approaching God. It's about what the priest does to be able to do such a thing. So atonement. And then how, what does that gain him? It gains access for the people to a holy God. So let's look at this in verses 1 through 2. Approach, approach to God. And what we learn in just these two verses that is so jam-packed with such good theology and such uh, good um, attributes of God just here on display in just these two verses is that we learn that God is holy. And to approach Him improperly is dangerous. You just imagine, you know, some people have had the opportunity to enter the White House. Let's just say this, I want to enter the White House, and so I jump the fence, I run through the front lawn, and I bolt for the door, because I want to enter the White House. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Well, if I'm not sniped from a crow's nest, uh, you know, what's going to happen is I'm going to be bitten by dogs, tased, batoned, punched, arrested. Uh, all because I just wanted to enter the White House, right? That's all I wanted to do. So I jumped the fence and I made a bolt for the door. But that's not the right way to enter the White House, right? You have to take proper you know, procedures and precautions and you've got to sign the paperwork and you've got to do all these things. And so it's dangerous for me to enter in an improper way. The same thing is true for the priest on the Day of Atonement is that this is the case with approaching Yahweh. If the priests and the people approach Yahweh in the improper way, it is dangerous for them. And it's dangerous because God is holy. That's it. And so look at this. It tells us that it's dangerous just in the first verse by recapping what happened in, in 
chapter 10 of Leviticus. And you might remember that story. In Leviticus 10, uh, Nadab and Abihu, they come and they offer a strange fire or they offer an improper offering to the Lord. They weren't supposed to be in that place with those sort of things. They went in there kind of arrogantly thinking they can, they can approach God however they want with, in whatever way they want. And what happened to them? They died instantly. They died instantly. And so they disregarded God's commands. They disregarded his, his expectations of them. They disregarded his instructions. And you know what they disregarded ultimately that cost them their lives? They disregarded God's holiness. That's what cost them their life that day. And so here's the warning to Aaron. He says this, the Lord speaking to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. Take a lesson from Nadab and Abihu. He can't just come in whenever he wants in whatever way he wants, however he wants, because if he does, he's going to end up like Nadab and Abihu, and he's going to die. He will certainly die. And why would, why would Aaron die? Why did Nadab and Abihu die? Because God is there. God is there in that holy place. He's there. He says this, For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. God's presence is there in the holy place. Look, it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous to approach God in, 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 in an improper way. Is that later on in verse 13, is that Aaron is instructed to burn incense so that kind of smoke and clouds come up from the incense that he burns to cover the mercy seat. And some scholars say the reason that he does this is this, so that the smoke would keep him from seeing and staring at the mercy seat. Because if he did that, he would die to even look there. That's how dangerous it is for somebody to enter into the holy place improperly. And so that's why Aaron would die is because God is there. And so we learn something about God's holiness in these, just these two verses. His holiness, God's holiness, is positively dangerous. It's positively dangerous. Is that, and it's dangerous because we are unclean. We are unholy. We are sinful. That's why it makes it so dangerous to be in the presence of someone who is so purely holy, so perfectly holy. It's, he's so holy, and we are so unholy, that without taking the proper precautions, it's dangerous and deadly to even be around. It's like an astronaut approaching the sun. And without taking the proper precautions in approaching the sun, wearing the right equipment everything, what happens to him? He dies. That's how dangerous it is. God, His holiness is positively dangerous. But here's the flip side of that. God's holiness is positively good. It's good. You might think that's a bad thing that God is so dangerously holy, but it's not. It's actually good for us. And those things are, aren't at odds with one another. It's a good thing that God is so holy because you don't want a God, any other God, in any other way. You don't want anything otherwise. You want a God who is perfectly, purely holy. And that to be purely and dangerously holy, it's not against Him being positively good. His holiness being positively good. It's like what Mr. Beaver said to Susan's question when they're learning about Aslan. Anybody read the Chronicles of Narnia before? 
particular. Yeah, so they're asking, you know, Susan's asking about Aslan, the lion, doesn't really know, you know, what's he like and things like that. And, and the, Mr. Beaver's telling Susan about Aslan. And so her question is, oh, so I, is Aslan safe? And Mr. Beaver's like, what? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. God is positively holy, dangerously holy. But his dangerous holiness is positively good for us because we don't want a God in any other way, in any other character. Because this holy God, despite our uncleanness, despite his pure holiness, still welcomes and invites and provides a way to approach him. It's through sacrifice. And so I know you read through Leviticus 16 and you think that this is just this is just a book of a bunch of laws. And I know a lot of you like everybody's got this New Year's resolution to read through the Bible in a year, and then you get to March when you get to Leviticus and you're like, throwing my hands up, done. Done. But think about this. Leviticus is a book of compassion and grace and mercy. And you're like, uh, I didn't get that from the last time I read Leviticus, Wes. I don't know, we were, we were reading different Leviticus. Think about this. A positively holy, a dangerously holy God is giving his people a way to be with him and in his presence. Isn't that so good? Isn't that so good that God is making a way for his people to be with him? And so even now, not just for Israel, but for us, Crosspoint, is that God is still holy. He's holy in Leviticus 16. He's been holy for, for all eternity, and He will be holy for all eternity. And so God is holy, and we must approach and treat Him as so. And what I feel like the danger is for our society, even in the church, is this. Familiarity breeds what? Contempt. Is that familiarity breeds contempt. Is that close association with something can lead to loss of respect, loss of concern, loss of fear, loss of carefulness. That's what happened to Nadab and Abihu. They had this relationship with God, and they're like, I can, God, God doesn't care. God does care, because He is perfectly holy. And so we need to have that same approach to God in our own lives, that we actually believe that God is holy, and we should approach Him as such. Now, one, two things I want to tell you about this, is that about our approach to God is that I want us to all believe what the Bible says is that we can approach God confidently. We don't have to, you know, we see the story of David and Abihu, we don't have to live in fear of approaching God improperly if you are in Christ Jesus. Is that you can approach God confidently. Because God is holy and Christ has atoned for our sins, we should approach God with utter confidence that we won't be rejected by him when we do approach him with our hurts and our pains, our sorrows, and even our sins. So if right now you're in this spot, I can't approach God with how I am right now. I'm a mess. I'm a mess of a sinful, unclean person. But if you are in Christ Jesus, you can boldly approach God. As the book of Hebrews tells us, Hebrews 4.16, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. Hebrews 10.19, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, 
this morning, you can approach God confidently when you go to Him with your sorrows and your pains and your fears and even your sins if you're in Christ Jesus. But the flip side is this. We should also approach God reverently because He is a holy God. We should be on guard against becoming like Nadab and Abihu, arrogant, irreverent, disrespectful in our approach, in our thinking, in our treatment of God, where we dismiss our sin. God doesn't care about my sin. God doesn't care about what I did. I can still be in right relationship with him. Who, he, won't, he won't punish me for my sin. He won't do that. That is treating God as unholy, and he is a holy God, and so we must see our sin for what it really is, that bad. The Bible tells us in Jesus' own prayer, Matthew 6, 8, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, treat Him as holy. 1 Peter 3, 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. There might be some of you in here this morning that living in such a way where the world looks at it and sees that person's God is not holy. He's not perfectly holy. Because that person's living in such a way that says their God won't do anything about it. And our God will, as he did to Nadab and Abihu. But listen to this. This causes a problem for us. So God is perfectly and purely holy. We are unclean people. We are not holy people. So there's a problem, right? That's the problem that we have. Is that if God's holiness is so dangerous, then how can Israel, let alone anyone, have a relationship with him? And that's that's the second one. What's, what's the second word I told you to remember? Atonement. Atonement. What is needed to approach a holy God? Atonement. Why is atonement needed? Because of sin. Now, I, I've learned this in the 32 years of my life, is that, you know, you can't walk into Sam's and Costco and just start shopping, right? What do you got to do? You know, show your card. Because your card shows that you have membership, right? I can't just walk in the door and start pulling stuff off the, you know, off the thing and start shopping, throwing stuff in my cart, right? I have to show my ID. There are prerequisites for enjoying the benefits of Costco, right? And this is the prerequisites to have a relationship with a holy God in Leviticus 16. Atonement. Atonement is needed. Cleansing and forgiveness is needed to approach this holy God. And so, this is what he says in verse 3. So, verses 1 through 2 about, are about the improper way to approach this holy God that is given to Aaron. But then he starts in verse 3, he says, but in this way, but in this way, you can approach God. There's a wrong way and there's a right way to approach God. And so now Aaron's been given instructions. Here's the proper offerings that you are to make and the proper sacrifices that you must make. And not only that, you even have to dress a certain way when you come into the holy place. And if you, you, know, if you look at the garments and the attire that, that the, the priest has to wear, it's very bland compared to everything that he normally wears on any other day. Like this is, this is pretty bland attire. And many people have noticed this already, is that this bland attire that the priest wears when he approaches the holy place is that it's unimpressive. And why is that? Why is his clothes unimpressive? Well, his clothes are equivalent to a slave's clothes or a servant's clothes. So he's walking into the holy place of God 
in kind of raggedy clothes, nothing, n- n- no glory or glamour about his attire. And the reason is this, is that it doesn't matter who you are in the holy place. You, we are all subservient there. We all must approach humbly. We all don't have any position to assert in the holy place before God. So the, pre- the high priest didn't walk up there and, you know, and it, uh, you know, dressed, dressed fully and you know, showing off his bling and his chains and everything and every, you know, all the stuff he's got on, saying, I guess you know who I am on the outside, Yahweh. I, I, guess, you, I guess you know I got um, pr- pretty big stuff out there, right? No, he approaches humbly because regardless of who you are, where you came from, what you own or what position you hold, we all approach God the same way, broken sinners approaching a holy God this morning I hope you know that say regardless of your position I don't care if you're the CEO or if you're the janitor I don't care if you've made billions or you've made nothing I don't care if you're a pastor before a holy God there's no position that matters there's no family heritage them well my my family has has been in the church for 50 60 billion years that doesn't mean anything to a holy god it doesn't mean anything we must approach humbly and so even the attire says something but he has to come with something he has to do something before even entering into there and that is offerings is that it's not just about attitude, but the appropriate atoning sacrifices have to be made. And why are sacrifices and offerings needed? Because of this. God's people, God's place, and God's priest. That's three Ps right there. That's a different whole sermon I could be preaching right now. But I'm throwing it into one, y'all, because I know, I'm just, look, y'all need to understand my compassion right now, because man, this is, right, Leviticus 16, that's like six sermons right here I could be preaching, but I'm putting it into one. So here's what happens because of sin. The people, Israel, are defiled and unclean. The the place, the holy place, is defiled and unclean because the people went into it. And then the priests are defiled and unclean because, you know what? They're people too and sinners, right? And so offerings have to be made on behalf of all these. Just look in verses 6 through 11. Before Aaron even goes in, Aaron has to make offerings for himself and for his own house to even be able to do that because him and his house are also sinners. They are also ritually unclean and cannot approach God. The people, Israel, they are also unclean and have to have atoning sacrifice made on their behalf because of their sinfulness. Israel's uncleanness and impurity and sin had to be accounted for in order for them to maintain this relationship with Yahweh. And then the place, like I already said, is that because you have unclean, sinful, polluted priests, you have unclean, sinful, polluted people, then God's place is also corrupted because they go in there, right? And so Aaron has to make offerings for the holy place, for the people, and for himself, for the priest. And you know what this says about uncleanness? You know what this says about sinfulness? It spoils everything. Sin spoils everything. There's not a place it does not touch, right? The corrupting nature and influence of sin, you can't contain it. You might think, well, I have this sin, 
and I keep it right here, and I only do it on this day at this time, and in this situation, and in this environment, and it doesn't, it, that's all, that's all only when I do it. Let me tell you this, if you have that view of sin, it's too small. Sin corrupts everything. It will corrupt your marriage. It will corrupt your friendships. It will corrupt your relationship. It will corrupt your job. It will corrupt your church. It will corrupt everything. This is what Leviticus 16 is saying. Atonement and sacrifice and offerings have to be made for every piece of their life. Priest, people, and place. Because sin and uncleanness defiles everything. So don't think you can contain sin. You can't contain sin. It will contaminate you. It will contaminate you. So what do these sacrifices do? What do these sacrifices do? Well, these sacrifices, one part of them is that they cleanse Israel. And they cleanse the place. And they cleanse the priest. And so you see in verses 6 through six through 10, and even you go on in 20, two, 20 through 22, is that there's two different sacrifices that have to be made. There's one that's offered to the Lord, and then there's one that's offered to Azazel. And I can't get into Azazel, but it seems to be a place where it kind of recognizes a place for the removal of things, uh, almost like a garbage heap, I guess you could say it like that. But there's one sacrifice that has to be taken to cleanse the people and to cleanse, and to cleanse the impurity from the place and from the priest. And so these offerings are cleansing these things because sin brings defilement. And we're reminded of this in the New Testament that Christ is the sacrifice that also does cleanse us. Right? 1 John 1, nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These sacrifices that Aaron had to offer, these offerings, were to cleanse Israel from, from their defilement. And you had this goat that was meant to do it, and some have referred to it as this, this scapegoat. And where in 20 through 22, if you'll put your eyes there, is that after making cleansing for the holy place, Aaron comes and he puts his hands, both his hands, on this scapegoat. And the, the sins of Israel are symbolically transferred over to this, this scapegoat. And the scapegoat is bearing the sins of Israel. And then a person leads this, this goat out to never return, symbolizing that the sin is being removed from God's place and God's people to never return again. To never come back. That's what it does. Is that it can't. It has to be removed from the presence. It's kind of like, you know, look, I, I had to learn this early on in parenting. But there are some diapers that go into the trash can in the kitchen. And then there's some diapers that go to the, the big trash can. And I won't explain to you what those second diapers do. But I've made the mistake of just, ah, pff, there's no diaper thrown in the trash can. And the stench reeks the whole house, right? Like, what is that stench? I'm like, I don't know. Did you throw a dirty diaper in, in this trash can, Wes? I'm not, I'm not saying it to the volume that Myra says it. It's much louder. It's much louder. Did you, did you put a dirty diaper? Yeah, it was just a, it's a poopy diaper. You don't put the poopy diapers in the trash can in the kitchen. You put them in the far away trash can outside where we can't smell them because the stench... It reeks the whole house, right? 
And that's, that's kind of the idea here of removing the sin. It's being removed from God's people in this place and their presence to never return again. Because if left there, it would create a stench and contaminate the whole place. It's being removed there. And look, if you don't see the connections to Jesus here, man, aren't they beautiful? Is that Jesus Christ is, is this goat that bears the sins and iniquities of his people. This is what Isaiah 53. I, Isaiah is reading Leviticus 16 when he says this. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge all the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds you have been healed is that Jesus Christ is the scapegoat where all the sins of his people go on and he bears them and removes them from them so that all of us can be said who are in Christ Jesus what Psalm 103:12 says as far as the east is from the west so far does he what removes our transgressions from us is that this sacrifice, these sacrifices of Leviticus 16, were to remove the stain of sin that contaminates the people, to remove it from them. And in Christ Jesus, if you are in Christ Jesus this morning, your sins have been removed because they've been on, put on Christ, for He has bore them. But not only do these sacrifices and offerings cleanse, but they also give forgiveness. And that's what, that's what atonement is meaning here. It says over and over again, if you go through Leviticus 16 and just circle it, atonement, make atone, 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 make atonement, atone, is that sin requires sacrifice for forgiveness. This is why Israel needed sacrifices. Because only the shedding of blood could pay for sins committed. Leviticus 17.11, if you look just in the next chapter over, this will be God's instructions to Israel when He says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for sins for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for life. So blood is required to make atonement for Israel's sins. That's why they have to shed the blood of bulls and goats over and over again to make atonement for their sins. Hebrews 9.22 picks up on this as well. Indeed, under the law, Almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? No forgiveness of sins. Blood is required. And so that's why they have to make these sacrifices. They sinned. They need forgiveness. And the only way to propitiate God's wrath, to get forgiveness from a holy God, is by bloodshed. And this is what they must do. Atoning for their sins over and over for, through the blood of bulls and goats, over and over. And what does this atonement do for them? What does this approach to God through atonement grant for Israel? Well, it grants them access. This is the third point. It grants them access. Atonement is how we have continual access to God. So you just heard about my, you know, Costco. You know, so I've also learned in order to shop at Costco, you have to have a membership. You got to show your ID, right? In order to retain your membership at Costco, you must renew your membership yearly, right? To renew your membership yearly, you must pay your membership fees. 
You don't automatically get, you know, get a Costco membership. It, it's, not, it's not given to you at birth. Here you go. You've been born into the United States. Here's your Costco membership, right? That's not how it works, right? I don't automatically renew my membership yearly. And I can't forego paying my membership fees and still retain my membership at Costco, right? There's a yearly process that I have to go through so that I can still have access to the benefits of Costco membership, right? And this is what is, was going on with Israel in, in the last part of Leviticus 16. Because of sin and uncleanness, Israel doesn't automatically get access to God. Yearly atonement is required to maintain access and relationship to God. And so look at verses 29 through 34, where basically this is just summing up everything that you've read, we've read together in the first 28 verses. It's saying what has to happen on this day. It's saying all the, all the things that the atonements are doing. It's, it's on behalf of the priest, on behalf of the people, on behalf of the place, and, and going on and on and on. But the emphasis in just these last verses, 29 through 34, is this. It's a statute forever. It's a statute forever. A statute, a statute, a statute forever. The Day of Atonement isn't a once-in-a-lifetime event. It's not like Israel did this one time and that covered their sins for their entire lifetime. No. It says this at the end. All this is done once in a year. The Day of Atonement. This is a perpetual thing that is to be done year after year to make atonement every year for the people and for the defilement of the place and the priest. They can't stop making atonement. It's required to maintain relationship with this God. And so the Day of Atonement, when it would come up, is that it was a constant reminder for Israel that our God is holy, that we're sinful, and the only way to have access to this holy God, uh, unholy people to have access to a holy God, is through atonement. That's the only way we can have access to God. So that was a constant reminder for Israel on their minds of their sinfulness. And in the process of their atonement, he says it's not just about the act of atonement. It's also about your attitude in atonement. He says this in verse 29. He says, afflict yourselves, which is, which is a similar word to humble yourselves, to fast or uh, a particular contriteness is that there's a humility about them offering atonement it's not just to be an action that you just do over and over again and there's there's really no internal change there really is no brokenness over these things and what Israel's learning and I think what we need to learn cross point as well myself included is God is not only concerned without about our actions he is also concerned about our attitudes our attitude towards sin. Repentance requires the right action and the right attitude. It makes no difference to God. Our offerings accomplish nothing if it doesn't come from a heart that is broken over our sin. A contriteness, a hum, humble heart. That's why when Jesus comes on the scene, He says, I don't desire, desire your sacrifices and your offerings. Because they don't come from the right place. It's our mercy, right? That's what God desires. And what we learn from Leviticus 16 is that 
is that they continue to have to do this. Year after year, people after people, person after person, priest after priest, place after place, sacrifice after sacrifice. Continuing. It couldn't solve their problem. It couldn't give them unlimited access to a holy God. And it's because their sacrifices were pointing to something that could solve their problem. It's pointing forward to the one who would come and bring an end to the sacrificial system. It's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what the author of Hebrews says. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. No more sacrifices. No more offerings have to be made. Christ is the final sacrifice. This morning, what you need here, if you're watching online or if you're in here in our service, everyone, what you need is, you need someone to approach God on your behalf. You need someone who can give you access to God. You need some. Thing to atone for your sins? That is the question that you have this morning. Is that how can I approach God? How can I atone for my sins? How can I have access to God? That's your, that's your questions here. How can I have any of these things? You need someone to approach God for you, you need someone to atone for your sins, you need someone to give you access. Where will you find such a thing to give you all three of those? Jesus, the baby born in a manger, meek, lowly, mild, yet sacrificial lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world, the sacrificial lamb who has gone before us to approach God on our behalf, who has atoned for our sins in His body and given us forgiveness, who now in Christ Jesus, in Him, by belief in His name, now gives us complete, unlimited access to the throne of grace. It is only through this baby born in a manger. And so at the end of our days, we can say this, cross point. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way, that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. If you're here this morning and you have not believed in Christ, you have not submitted to his rule and his reigning and his lordship, if you have not trusted in him to atone for your sins, here's the three questions that you need to answer for this morning. Where are you going to find someone to give you access to God? Where are you going to find someone to atone for your sins? And how are you going to approach God on that judgment day? And let me say this, any other answer other than Jesus Christ will end up end up like Nadab and Abihu, you will die. You will die. You will experience the eternal wrath and judgment of this purely and positively holy God. This morning, if your answer to how can I approach God, how can I atone for my sins, how can I have access, if your answer is me, 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 I, 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 you will end up like Nadab and Abihu. But if your answer to all three of those is Christ, 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 
than this morning. You can approach the throne of grace with confidence this morning, having no fear to approach a holy God because Christ has atoned for your sins. And now you have unlimited access to Him. Let me pray for us. God, I thank You for this day. I thank You. God, in Christ Jesus, we have all these things. We can approach a holy God through Christ Jesus. Our sins can be atoned for through Christ Jesus. We can have access to a holy God through Christ Jesus. Let us take hold of that confidently as those who are in Christ Jesus. Boldly knowing we can talk to you, O God. We can come to you through Christ. Lord, I pray anyone here here this morning that does not have an answer to those three questions or their answer is anything apart from Christ. And God, they would be warned by the lives of Nadab and Abihu. Turn, repent, trust in Jesus. He is the only way we can approach, atone, and have access to you, O God. We love you. We thank you for this season, this Advent season where we worship King Jesus who was born in a manger. This king, this lion king, this one who is going to crush the serpent's head is also ours sacrificial lamb for he came to save his people through his atoning death save them from their sins in christ's name we pray these things amen